Hey, 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 greetings from upstate New York. Welcome to the Pastor Duke podcast. Oh man, things are coming in like a flood. My mailbox, that is not my actual snail mailbox, but uh, my technology mailbox are full of people asking questions. What is going on? Just came back from a produce wholesaler where I do some uh, work with them throughout the year, ask them about what's going on in reference to uh, their supply chain, and they said things are a mess. I turn on the news, I see a mess on the southern border. I see mandates coming down. I see uh, oh, propaganda. Who knows what to believe on the news? Well, today we're going to take our eyes off of all that for a little while. Look into the Bible, the Word of God, the prophetic picture. History is no mystery. It was laid out in advance. History is his story. God told us what to expect, and I get all frustrated about what I'm seeing going on because I love our country. I got grandkids. I want things to be well for them, but you know, I'm reminded that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Today, we're going to tune out this world. We're going to tune in the word of God as he puts the spotlight on the last day's scenario. Not so much by exactly what's going on and if it, is it bad and how's it going to hurt? How's it going to feel? What's going to happen to our economy? None of that. Just kind of the sequence of events that we can expect. It's this passage of scripture is called the 70th week of Daniel, one of the great prophecies in all of the word of God. Daniel is to the Old Testament what Revelation is to the New Testament. It has been called the apocalypse of the Old Testament. Daniel is given the blueprint of history yet to happen. Remember, history is a compound word, his story. Through Daniel, God laid out in advance the history of the world right up to the end of the age. And I think we're kind of here. In Daniel 2, Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which showed the coming or the rising and falling of the world's great empires. Nebuchadnezzar was on the throne in Babylon and was pictured as a winged lion in that vision, which would fall to the Medo-Persian Empire, pictured as a bear, which would fall to the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great, pictured as a leopard, and finally the fourth and most powerful of all the kingdoms, Rome, pictured as a fierce beast. Rome would have a rise and fall and rise again in the end of the age as pictured by ten toes. Nebuchadnezzar saw a statue in his dream with a head of gold, which represented Babylon, chest of silver, which represented Medo-Persia, loins of brass, which represented Greece, legs of iron, which represented Rome, Rome phase one with its first western stronghold uh, in Rome and its eastern stronghold in Constantinople, which today is Istanbul, concluding with an end days resurrection, as it were, and its more brittle uh, political alliance in the last days and most of us evangelicals would believe the rebirth of the modern or the old Roman Empire would be the European Union today. 
a reconvening in the end of times of those same nations. Today, there's like 26 nations at the European Union, and the Bible says 10 toes. It kind of threw me for a curveball there for many years until I looked at the ancient map of the Roman Empire. And guess what? There were 10 major regions of the Roman Empire, and they are all reconvened, just like Daniel said, but they're divided into what we see as 26 nations today. So again, prophecy fulfilled. Now it's out of this revived Roman Empire we see in Daniel 2 and again in chapter 7. We're going to look at that in a minute where the Antichrist will rise suddenly and govern the world for a short period of time as a powerful dictator and run a totalitarian government, not from D.C., not from Brussels, Belgium, not from Beijing or Moscow, but from Jerusalem, the capital of the world. But this Antichrist power will last for only 42 months, according to several prophecies in Daniel and also in Revelation. When Christ, the Ancient of Days, returns to save Israel and set up his millennial kingdom, where the paradise lost of Genesis beautifully and wonderfully becomes the paradise regained in Revelation. Doesn't that make you glad you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart? We got some promises waiting for us. Well, Daniel himself has a dream later recorded in chapter 7, which completely reiterates the vision from chapter 2. It concludes with many more details on that fourth kingdom, Rome, and it's rising again in the end times out of which the Antichrist arises. But the icing on the awesome Daniel cake, as it were, comes from chapter 9, which will be our focus today, where God zooms back in on his chosen people, Israel. You see, biblical prophecy is not centered on the U.S., China, or Russia, which the news might lead you to believe. Israel is the apple of God's eye. Israel is the hourglass of all history. When you want to know what's happening in the world events on God's calendar, you look to the nation of Israel, not to American politics. God speaks to the unfolding of Israel's history in chapter 9. He gives the sacred timeline and sequence of events not with all the details perhaps we would like to have, but the sequence of events which await his people. This is our podcast theme for today, the 70th week of Daniel. Our text, Daniel 9, 24 to 27, perhaps the most content-laden four verses in all of the Bible. The key issues will be the rebuilding of Israel, the timing of the coming of Messiah, when Messiah is cut off, the rebirth of Israel, and in the time of the end with the Antichrist. I'm going to read you the text from Daniel 9.24 and kind of commentate as we uh, commentate or comment. <laughs> oh, man. Thanks for your patience here listening audience. You know, I killed a lot of brain cells in 1969, and I'm not playing with a full deck anymore, but I'm still having fun. Daniel 9.24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, uh, that's the Jewish people, and upon thy holy city, that's Jerusalem, 
And at the end of these 70 weeks, uh, he's going to name six really exciting and important things that will have happened. Now, I want to back up to that word 70 for a minute, 70 weeks. There's seven days in a week, so 70 times 7 would be 490. God says to the Jewish people, put 70 weeks on your clock. He's going to tell them when to start the clock and what to expect to find happening along the way as he chooses to give us the divine timeline of history. Put 70 weeks upon your Jewish clock and uh, determined upon thy people, the Jews, upon the holy city, Jerusalem. Then he fast forwards when those 70 weeks are over, these fabulous <laughs> Jewish milestones will have been achieved. Here we go. Number one, to finish transgression. Can you imagine that? No more sin against God. Holy cow. To finish transgression. Number two, to make an end of sins. Kind of the same thing reiterated twice. Number three, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Okay, you really screwed up, but I'm bringing you back. You're going to be forgiven. We're going to start a whole new relationship. Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Number five, to seal up the vision and prophecy. Number six, I think I might have got those mixed up, but number six, to anoint the most holy. That word holy is capitalized. You know who that is? Anointing the most holy. That's Jesus. That's the Jewish Messiah. That's our Savior. That's our King. That's the captain of our salvation. It's the culmination. It's God's dream coming true. How exciting. The Jews are in the midst of it. There is chosen people. This uh, Redeemer, this uh, righteous one was born of their, their seed. And the people are listening and, okay, 70 weeks on the clock. And what's that all about? He gives more information. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks, three score and two, that's 69 weeks. So we've got to back up. Let's get the picture. When Daniel gives his prophecy, the Persians are now in power. Babylon had fallen to Persia. Remember what Babylon did to Jerusalem in 586 BC? Yeah, we had the fall of Jerusalem under Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the Jews were taken captive and the temple went down. The city was destroyed. Well, this is really good news to Jewish ears. That we're going to rebuild. Hallelujah. That's great. He says, so when the decree to rebuild Jerusalem comes forth, that literally happened under Artaxerxes, king of Persia in 445 BC under Nehemiah, who got permission to go back home and rebuild. How exciting to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Oh my. From that time, you know, gentlemen, start your engines. From that moment, that decree was signed. God says, fast forward 69 weeks. 69 times 7 is 483. And we find out he wasn't talking about 483 days. He was talking about 483 years. And all of this actually happened. Start the clock, the Jewish clock. When the decree comes to rebuild, that happened. The Jews started their clock to the letter. 483 years later, 
guess who was crucified between two thieves on Golgotha's hill? You got it. Daniel's prophecy was perfect timing. So we see the crucifixion of Jesus. I'll read this verse again. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah, Jesus, the prince, shall be seven weeks plus three score, which is 60, into 69 weeks total. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. Jesus was crucified, but not for himself. Jesus didn't die for his own sins because he had no sin. He died for the sins of the world. Thank you, Lord. Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come, that would be the Antichrist here, shall destroy the city. This Antichrist is going to look like the answer man uh, for the Jewish people uh, for a little while. But he's ultimately going to destroy the city and the sanctuary, and in the end thereof shall be a flood. And in the end of the war of desolations that are determined, this is what we call the abomination of desolation. We're going to see more details here. Now we're fast forwarding from Christ's first advent when there was 483 years on the Jewish clock. Christ was cut off. The Messiah was cut off. So was Israel. Their clock stopped. But there's still seven years left on their clock. That's where we get the seven-year tribulation period. And there's always going to be the beginning of the period, the middle point of the period, where the Antichrist comes from prominence to power. Revelation 13 institutes the mark of the beast. Power is given unto him to reign, but only for 42 months. Then comes Daniel called Jesus, the ancient of days before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus comes back, wipes out the antichrist kingdom and jesus sets up his kingdom the rightful heir to the throne of planet earth but the holy spirit zooms in on a major let's say political event it seems to be the first political event that the antichrist does verse 27 and he the antichrist also called by daniel the little horn called by Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the wicked one, the man of sin, and he, the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with the Jewish people for how long? One week. We see 69 weeks completed at the cross of Jesus. Israel's cut off. Time out for the Jews. Time in for the church. Jesus would present the knowledge of himself to the world through the church. They would go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That was Israel's job to present the knowledge of God to the world, but they failed and got Jesus lifted up his church. So the church is doing that work while the church is here. And we know from second Thessalonians, when you put scripture on top of scripture, on top of scripture, we begin to see clearly the sequence. He, this Antichrist, he comes to power, or I would say he comes to prominence right after the rapture of the church. He looks like the Jewish answer man. He confirms a covenant with them, but only for one week. It's kind of shaky. They're desperate. We're going to look at the reasons why perhaps they are desperate here in a moment. But he looks like their answer man, confirms this peace treaty, as it were, with them, confirms the covenant for one week. 
But in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. You see, the Jews are ready to rebuild their temple. It's all prefabbed, ready to go up. I've seen the menorah that's going into the temple. They're going to resume their sacrificial system. I'm told by leaders in Israel that this thing could go up in 30 to 60 days, and they're ready to resume the Old Testament worship given to them by Moses. And so they're ready to do that. That shows us how close we might be to the second coming of Christ, the rapture of the church. They're ready to go. They're ready to rebuild. They're ready to resume this worship. So it seems like early in the tribulation, he, he, he kind of becomes the answer man, the protector of Israel, which would tell me to expect America to no longer be a protector of Israel. It would tell me perhaps America would have some sentiment towards Israel and yet be militarily impotent to be able to do anything to really support them. That might be an explanation of what's been happening the past uh, nine months here in America. Our debacle in Afghanistan, our allies can't trust us. Our enemies don't fear us. Maybe that's kind of blending in, laying the foundation for this. Israel's going to have to lean on somebody besides America. They reach out to the leader of this revived Roman Empire, the European community. He looks like a good guy. But in the midst of the week, they had resumed when this covenant is set. They had built their temple on the, the Temple Mount, which will completely infuriate every Muslim on the planet when the Antichrist allows the Jews to, re, to, to do this worship. And so he looks uh, like their guy, but in the middle of that week, three and a half years into that covenant, he makes Hitler look like a decent friend. He comes after them. That's what Jesus was talking about in the Olivet Discourse. Remember when the disciples asked him, what will be the sign of your coming? And he spoke of the Jewish people that will be forced by this Antichrist to flee into the wilderness. He said, pray that you're not nursing a child in that time. Don't even stop to get your pictures or your iPhone. Just get out of Dodge where God will once again protect them in the wilderness like he did under Moses. He's going to do it again, probably in Petra, which is kind of on the west side and south end of Jordan today. And so there's a whole lot of stuff going on in these verses. Then he according to Second Thessalonians 2, when he steps into God's temple, he's going to claim to be God. He persecutes the Jewish people. They flee to the wilderness, and we have what Daniel would call the abomination of desolations. I'm going to read the verse again. Hopefully it'll make more sense after I've explained some of these things to you. Verse 27 again, And he, the Antichrist, confirms a covenant with the Jewish people for one week, seven years, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he makes it desolate until the consummation is short-lived. He's only in power for 42 months. Then the Ancient of Days, King Jesus, comes back to kick his butt to bind Satan in the bottomless pit, cast the Antichrist and his false prophet into the lake of fire. Jesus will sit upon the throne of the earth. And that determines, see, God is running the show, not the devil. Everything that's happening in our world today that we don't like, that makes us uncomfortable, makes us un insecure financially, medically, what's going down? Are we heading into a totalitarian government? Hey, 
just remember this. God has determined these things. He only allows the devil to go so far and shall be poured upon the desolate. So we have the abomination of desolation. Now, I want to focus in on what could trigger all of this. I'm in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm not even going to turn there. I'm just speaking to you from my heart. I have no text. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to bring this out in a way that even my editor can can make this make sense to you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the whole chapter is given to the rise of the Antichrist. It talks about the church having a falling away just before this time. I think maybe that's happening now through COVID. A lot of people aren't in church like they used to be. There's a falling away. I see preachers, uh, TV evangelists making a lot of money in their fancy suits and their jet airplanes and their mansion here and their mansions there. Uh, I won't call out any names, but you can do the math, figure that out. They're not even mentioning what's going on in our world. Uh, falling away, people getting their ears tickled, make them feel good. Oh, we love that guy. He feels so good when he talks to me. But those guys, those prophet guys talking about Jesus coming back and setting up his kingdom. Well, God's prophets have never been real popular, but they've always been right. I'm not a prophet. I'm just giving you what the prophets said. And I have strong confidence in uh, what I'm saying to be biblically true. So falling away first. And then it talks about that man of sin, the Antichrist, who comes into the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. I think there's going to have to be some credentials for him to pull that off. But we go to verse seven, it says, he who now letteth will let until he uh, is taken out of the way. That word letteth, uh, when you look it up in the Greek, it means restrainer. Somebody is holding back the Antichrist. He who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. I believe that he is the Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit live? In our church buildings? No, he lives in our people. He lives in all of us who trust him as our Savior. Our bodies are his temple. Well, at the rapture of the church, the Holy Spirit is gone as we know him working in the New Testament age. He's gone. He who now letteth will let. He'll hold back. He'll restrain until he, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. Then shall that wicked one, Satan, the Antichrist, be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, it's interesting. In that text, the next verses talk about with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth. This is the people who rejected Jesus. They've heard the gospel. They want no part of it. They want to do it their way. It says they will believe a lie. The Antichrist will have a lie. What is a lie? Uh, it's the opposite of the truth. The truth is God came, delivered his people. Jesus returned. The rapture of the church took his bride to his father's house. Oh, my goodness. And the church is gone. The world will not be able to explain away the sudden disappearance of a billion people. There's going to have to be some kind of explanation, and I believe it'll be the Antichrist who explains it, of course, with a lie. What will be the lie? That the wrath of God fell upon the children of disobedience. Some people think perhaps that the 
uh, story will be that aliens came in, in flying saucers and spaceships and UFOs and took them all away because they were bad people. They wouldn't join in this. We are the world. They wouldn't join in the new green deal. They, they had to have it their way. They thought only Jesus was the savior. Only Christians go to heaven. And so we are the deplorables. We're the homophobes. We're the people that, that won't go along with this new agenda. And uh, we're the bad guys now. And the lie will be that, hey, God's wrath came upon all those bad guys. It's going to be exactly what they want to hear. They're going to say, oh, man, thank God I didn't go down to Newtown Church. I'm Thank God I didn't listen to this Pastor Duke podcast. I knew that guy was crazy. And we're gone. And they love his message. They believe the lie. It's absolutely amazing. The Antichrist is in power. And Revelation chapter 13 says he only has power to reign for 42 months. That's when he comes from prominence with a lie at the beginning of the tribulation to power in the middle of the tribulation when he persecutes Israel, declares himself to be God, institutes the mark of the beast, the cashless society. And man, all the hardware, software, chips, 5G, facial recognition, uh, space links, all the world data banks to have everything on everybody on the planet through their cell phones, perhaps through these vaccines. I'm being told by a lot of really brilliant uh, medical people that there's a transmission capability in some of these vaccines that are um, ready to be unfolded, uh, the booster, booster, booster. I think we're going to hear more and more of that is uh, the government's going to be controlling the medical world, the financial world. This world of the Antichrist is coming upon us quickly. And so it's not about us. It's not about America. It's not about our supply lines and uh, our fake news. It's about Jesus he came the first time in perfect timing. He's coming back. He told us what to expect. It's here. The Jews have to return home. They did, 1948. They have to retake their holy city. They did, June 10th, 1967. We have to have the hardware, software, all this stuff technologically in place for the Antichrist to set up this totalitarian government we read about in Revelation chapter 13. Man, that stuff's all in order. Isn't it exciting? I'm a little nervous about, you know, supply lines. I might have a little bit bigger garden next year than I had this year. If I can get seeds, that is. But I'm not worried about that. I'm just glad somebody told me about Jesus. I'm glad God gave us all these prophecies so that when we turn on the world news and try to figure out what is real news and what is fake news, that's, that's a real challenge for all of us. But we're comforted by the prophecies. It's the end of the age, not the end of the world, the end of the age. Jesus will return to take all true believers. Remember, he told us, not everybody who saith unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but he that doeth the will of my father. I think we're seeing a little bit of the separation from the sheep, from the goats. I think we're seeing a little bit of that falling away through COVID. I see the encroachment of totalitarianism through covid lockdown, shut down our churches, um, mandated uh, vaccines. Uh, Israel's on their fourth vaccine uh, booster. My wife just uh, did the research on it. It turns out the boosters are just actually exactly the same shot. They just do it again. 
Why would you have to do it again and again and again and again? The fourth booster, wouldn't that tell us that it's not working? See, I don't think it really has anything to do much with the COVID virus. I think it has to do with control. I think that's what it's all about. Uh, Why would they fight a cure? I think it's about control. Why would there be such strong censorship on any agenda outside of the mainstream uh, narrative? I think it's about control, and I think it's Satan that is the controller, the prince and power of the air, and we're living in those days. It's in living color right in front of us. We're experiencing it. The pressure's on a little bit, you know, but I cheated. I read the back of the book. I know who wins. Jesus, the Ancient of Days, will return seven years after the rapture of the church. You know, just a thought that I'll throw in here at the end. Why do I believe that Jesus will come at the beginning of the tribulation? Real quick survey of Revelation, uh, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Chapter 1, the glorified Christ walking in the midst of the churches. Chapter 2 and 3, the seven churches of Asia. Christ is walking among them, commending them where they're strong, challenging them, and correcting them. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now consider the things which shall be. A door is opened in heaven. Trumpet sounds, a voice cries, come up hither. And John is in heaven, man. And he sees a huge crowd worshiping God, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive honor and dominion, both power and glory, both now and forever. Amen, 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 a heavenly scene. Chapter 6, verse 1. We see the rise of the Antichrist, a white horse of peace. He looks like the answer man, the lie, settling the Middle East situation. And then the red horse of war. War comes up. I think the Muslims, the kings of the South, Daniel 11, will just have had it up to here when the Antichrist kind of hooks up with Israel. They hate Israel, therefore they hate him. They march against him. They are defeated in the first battle of Armageddon. The kings of the south are defeated. And so we have everything lined up as the Bible said it would. I think Jesus would come back and say to you and I, fear not, I got this thing. I know what I'm doing. David wrote, I've been young, I've been old, but I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. So I'm not going to put my head in the sand. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. I believe he knows what he's doing. I think His record is perfect. I think we can trust him. I think he would tell us, fear not, I'm with you. He told us what to expect. It's here. It's coming quick. The birth pains have begun. They're going to come harder. They're going to come faster. Deception is a big part of how the devil works. Didn't Jesus tell us that he's a liar from the beginning? So tune him out. Tune in Jesus and wait and watch. And in the meantime, keep your hand to the plow. Love people fiercely tell people what's going on. Hey, thanks for tuning me in. God bless. Jesus loves you. So do I. Bye for now. See you next time.